Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What's up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. I'm so excited to have you here with us today for episode 438 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jeffrey Shaw, who's a uh, author, speaker who really truly epitomizes the entrepreneurial journey. Now, among other things, he's an expert at being self-employed, has written a book about how to create, maintain sustainable success as an entrepreneur. And so today, we're going to be talking about some of the, the really fundamental skills for being a successful speaker. We're going to talk about establishing your expertise, storytelling, handling the mental and emotional roller coaster of being a professional speaker. Speaker. Establishing your expertise is so important that it's actually step number three in our speak framework for launching your speaking business. But it is a long, long process that can take many iterations. And sometimes at the beginning of the journey, you might even not know where your best areas of expertise lie. And so Jeffrey's going to give you some amazing strategies for identifying and developing your expertise and how to communicate it with your audience. Now, Jeffrey started out his entrepreneurial journey as a photographer. So he is also an expert at capturing stories. And storytelling is a core part of preparing and delivering your message in a way that sticks with your audience. So Jeffrey's going to be showing us some ways that you can you can really recognize and remember the moments that turn into great stories for the stage. And finally, and this is something that Jeffrey actually talks about in his book, The Self-Employed Life, I asked him to share some encouragement for coping with the tough times of speaking. Speaking is, is honestly, it's a, it's a risky business. And there are some seasons where you might be hounded by the worry that each gig will be your last gig. And so if you feel like you're just trying to make it through the next day, or as Jeffrey likes to say, maybe the next hour, he's going to share some words of wisdom from his own journey that I think are really going to help you take those discouraging moments in stride. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Jeffrey Shaw. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Bolden here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Good to have you here with us today. Today, we are joined by my buddy, Jeffrey Shaw. We're going to be talking all about his speaking journey and also uh, the challenges and ups and downs of being a uh, self-employed entrepreneur, which is, uh, if you're not aware, that's what uh, being a speaker is all about. And so we got a lot to cover there as well. So, uh, Jeffrey, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Grant. I'm thrilled to be here with you. All right, let's start by uh, giving us a little bit of context. Uh, I know you've been uh, speaking for a little while, uh, but give us a, some sense of like, how much speaking are you doing? Who are you speaking to? Like, how does speaking fit into your world right now? So uh, how it fits into my world now, you know, versus the evolution of it all is, uh, you know, like anything else in my, in my life and my certainly my journey as, as an entrepreneur is I, I like to control my life. You know, I've always said every decision I've made in business was first a lifestyle decision. I just don't see any other reason to, to be in business for ourselves if it's not if you're not going to leverage your business to lead your life. So currently, um, you know, and rather recently, I took a little bit of a spin on my my speaking in that it's not so much about do I want to do less speaking, but more importantly, as I said to my my rep, 
I only want to be in front of my people. And I made it very clear to her. And I, and then of course her question was, well, who are your people? And, you know, I know who that is, but I had to give her a clear understanding of that. Um, and that's been a little bit of a mindset shift for me as a speaker as of late in that, um, yeah, I want to get paid and I want to get paid well. And I will consider other options because magic happens when I'm in front of my people. More so than times when I have tried to be in front of audiences that kind of aren't my people, but I'm trying to make it work. Um, so that's been a significant, so I'd say where I'm at right currently as a speaker is it feels like a level of maturity to me. Um, it's been a, it's been a bit, you know, a number of years of speaking in various iterations. And I, I feel now that I'm at a state of maturity as a speaker and that I'm very clear on who the, who I want to, who my people are, who I want to be in front of. I'm open to more ideas as to what makes up that financial compensation for that. Um, controlling how often, you know, I, I want to speak. Um, and also I think another measure of maturity with regards to this is, and this may, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm nervous almost saying it to you because it's, it's interesting to say, I haven't said this outwardly to somebody as sophisticated in speaking as yourself. And that is, I feel like a bit like I'm bucking the system in that I'm, I know we are told that we should adapt our presentations to, uh, different organizations. And yes, I have a willingness to do that to a degree, but honestly, as a speaker, I felt like I was exhausting myself trying to be too creative, too different for every talk. And why I'm the reason I'm leaning into speaking to my people is I feel like I understand them and their needs so much that the variation of the talk from one industry to the next is pretty slight. So I feel like one thing it's enabling me to do that really excites me is to really perfect my delivery, to perfect my content. You know, and I look at some singers and admittedly, I'm a Barbara Streisand fan. Judge that as you choose. <laughs> but no I No judgment. No judgment here. <laughs> judgment for your zone. And I've seen her in concert three times and I can't imagine seeing her in concert, her not singing her best known hits. And I admire her and other singers for having the opportunity to perfect their delivery of the song people because they've been singing it for 40 years. I felt like as a speaker, I was robbing myself of that opportunity by forcing myself to change it up too often. So now I'm kind of on this journey of, I just want to get better at my delivery and at my content. And I feel like I can do that better if I stay honed in on who my people are and how I can serve them. How would you describe who your people are? They're business owners. And decision makers, um, you know, I've believe me as a speaker, I've dabbled in in corporate, I've dabbled in um, high end masterminds for CEOs, I've dabbled in digital marketing conferences, all these places I've spoken at, um, and just I, I don't, I so often didn't feel like I delivered my best because. I didn't feel as grounded as in their world. I, I'm a lifelong self, self-employed business owner. I've never had a traditional job. I've never received a paycheck from anybody other than myself. Um, it's difficult. I've challenged myself to be before agent, you know, marketing agencies, digital agent marketing agencies. I've challenged myself to be before various corporate environments. And I don't feel like I'm able to deliver my best because they don't feel as much as my people. My people are business owners 
They are the, the folks sitting in the chair are the decision makers on how they're going to market their business. And those are the people that, that I feel I can get through to and actually support them even after the speaking gig in whatever ways might be available. You kind of touched on it there, but I'd be curious, even kind of going back in time of what have been the iterations of your speaking journey that has helped you to feel confident? Because even as you're kind of talking there, those first few minutes, you're like, man, I'm, these are my people. and I know who my people are and I know what I can, how I can help them. I know what I can provide for them. And so, so many of the speakers that we work with uh, are especially in those earlier stages of trying to figure out who are my people. And, you know, there's a lot of things we can, we can work on and coach on, but some of it's also just kind of this iterative process of you don't really know until you kind of get going. And so, you know, we can make an educated guess if I feel like my people are, like you said, agency owners or corporations or masterminds or whatever it may be, uh, only to kind of get in and realize, ah, this isn't, I'm closer, but it's not quite what I thought. So kind of walk us through, like, what's the journey been like for you as far as in terms of like getting clear on who your people are? So you have the confidence that you have today for that. Oh, I love that question. You know, it's, and it's, the iterations are, you know, almost organic in that it's like breathing, right? It's in and out. And, and that's, that's actually what I think what we overlook in, in uh, businesses, the iterations aren't often aren't linear and the iterations are, like I said, it almost feels like breath to me. Like there's, it, it broadens and then it narrows, it broadens and then it narrows. So I started out very obviously speaking to my people. I spoke, I started out speaking in the photo industry. You know, I, I had been at that point about 15 years into my career as a portrait photographer for high end, for uh, you know affluent families doing very high end portrait photography. And uh, just by by nature of that, the industry started reaching out to me and inviting me to speak, um, which I didn't think it was something I'd ever want to do because I considered myself perfectly happy being an introvert, shy, like never thought that was something I would want to do. But the industry was reaching out to me and to me, it felt like a way to give back. So I started my speaking career speaking to my people. Same industry. We got each other. I got the industry. And yet, a couple things were also going on for me. In some ways, I didn't feel like I was like everybody else in the audience because I part of the reason why I built a, an exceptionally successful business as a photographer is I didn't think like everybody else. So um, I felt a little bit of fish out of the water because I had to really consider what their experience was, which was likely to be very different than mine, having had an exceptionally successful business in an industry that doesn't usually. And then I also recognized my own growth, you know, pretty early on as a speaker, uh, when I, right, when I would started speaking in the photo industry, which were, you know, small ballrooms, hotel rooms, things like that, that type of an event the hotel staff and the banquet managers were coming up to me and saying, you know, everything you're speaking about has nothing to do with photography. I'm like, I know that, you know, so there, that's actually where I got my encouragement to go bigger. Like who else could I serve? So I, I kind of, I broadened, as I said, I was very narrow. Now I broadened, I went into kind of, okay, let me, let me be a speaker for entrepreneurs. So I wrote my first book lingo. And that was, I referred to as my, my, coming out card. Like I wrote the book to broaden my audience, to break out of the mold of how I was pigeonholed as a photographer speaker. Um, so I, now I broaden the audience, but then I found myself, that's where I have found myself for the last several years, feeling a bit like I was a little bit running around in circles, being too broad, not knowing exactly who my people were. Um, lingo is a brand messaging book. And next thing I knew, the greatest number of events I was getting were in the HR industry. The industry, many HR professionals saw my lessons about brand messaging being applicable to recruiting messaging. 
So next thing I know, I'm speaking at HR events, nice people, but I couldn't help but wonder what the hell am I doing there? I would even start off my keynote you know, off by saying, isn't it ironic? The guy who's never had a job, <laughs> a traditional job is speaking at HR events. I knew I had good messaging to serve them um, and, and enjoyed many of those HR events. Um, but from a practical perspective, Grant, as, and I know you'll get this as a speaker, they often don't pay well. HR events, um, unless you're speaking at a certain level, but they often don't pay well because they often hire internally within the HR industry. And I was from outside the industry. So it wasn't enough pay scale to really make the events worthwhile for me. And I didn't have the back end services that would support, um, you know, any other negotiation for fees. Um, so it just wasn't a practical speaking business model. So I kind of drift away from that. Um, and then like, as the pandemic did for a lot of us kind of gave us a slowdown period to reconsider. Um, and that's when I really got clear that, you know, I wrote my book, the self-employed life and really just stepped into my own space, even, even going more narrow than entrepreneurship and saying it's, it's for me, even more narrow than entrepreneurship. It is self-employment. It's the people that are building a business likely to support their lifestyle, not, not likely to be building to sell. Right. So, um, again, it's been, you know, narrow to broad to, to narrow. And I, I think that's more a real, more, more realistic vision of the iterative process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's so important for people to hear because oftentimes it's easy for us to, you know, outside looking in thinking like, oh, he just, you know, he figured it out and I'm having trouble figuring it out for me. It's like, no, it's actually like it's been years of work in some cases to kind of figure it out. And it's kind of, you know, to, to use a photography analogy, I don't know squat about what I'm about to say, but I'm going to try to roll with me on this. But like think about like a, a, um, uh, like a, a lens and you're rotating it back and forth and you're making these like big pivots back and forth and then you're making like tiny little corrections there it's like ah that's it that's what i'm looking for but like you you know initially you're just going i, I think i'm in folk i'm not quiet and i'm just kind of making these little micro corrections and macro corrections to get to the point where i've got a little bit more clarity there uh, i also want to come back to something you mentioned where you know initially it sounded like a lot of the speaking you were doing it was kind of each talk was perhaps a new talk or just kind of a spin on a previous talk but it's a lot of like kind of recrafting rejigging the, the talk each time you go and now realizing like no like this works let's deliver this and to your point there may be like you know a few little nuanced differences from one audience to the next but for the most part you know the, the message may be able to stay the same and I think one of the fun things about being a speaker is there's a lot of different ways to go about doing this so some speakers do a ton of customization and other speakers are like no this like this is it take it or leave it and it's not necessarily that one's better or worse than the other you just kind of got to decide what makes sense for you but i would tend to fall into the, the category of you know, do a few little customizations so someone feels like all right this is not like just completely cookie cutter but um uh, there's been a little bit of thought that's gone into it but to your point jeffrey like if you have a talk that works people want to see the talk that works not the stuff that you're done just kind of testing this or trying this and so what's kind of been the process for you to come to the conclusion of like no no like this is the best talk and again it's always going to kind of be a bit of a work in progress but i know like a high percentage of this a high majority of this presentation works what's kind of been that process for you to get to that point yeah and i think and i think the internal battle for us uh and i might say us beyond speakers just in business i think the internal battle a lot of us are going through is what is what's our value you know, or what's what we perceive as value. I think it's a value uh, conflict going on in our head. And this is the process I had to unwind from because I, I believed that 
my best value to the people that were paying me was for me to create something really highly customized for them. Uh, what changed it for me, Grant, was actually when I stepped back again during the quiet periods of, of the pandemic. And I realized it's interesting that that's where my mind is at because that's not at all the way I built my very successful photography business. And, and one of my own you know, often used quotes in my keynotes is that it's not our job to prove our value to anyone. It is our job to find the people who already value what we do. And that was, has been fundamental to the way I've built businesses. Like I didn't run around to prove my value to affluent families. Like what I did was I built a business that I knew the value was there. And then I put all my time and effort into finding people that also valued that. And I felt like as a speaker, I was chasing the value game. I was believing that I created the most value when I bowed down to what my client wanted. And what I've realized, and I have always known this in business, it just took me a while to, to grasp as a speaker, is that I deliver my value when I find the people that already value the talk I'm going to give and then deliver that. <laughs> you know, it just, it's flips. Like I said, I think the battle many of us are going through is the value conversation going on in our heads because it can so often, it's something I talk about now, even in my own keynotes, I talk about the difference between customer service and expertise. A lot of us are caught up in a customer service mindset and that we have to serve the customer. It sounds great on the surface, but actually often your best delivery of whatever you do, speaker or otherwise, often your best delivery of your value is you stepping into your expertise. And to me, I define expertise as actually knowing what people need that they don't know to ask for. If you bow down to giving people what they've asked for, you have served them well, and often that can feel like value. But in my gut, I have always known, and, and since I was 20 years old starting out in business, somehow I was cocky enough to stand by that, and I forgot it in my 50s, and I'm owning it again, that really our best value is when we come from a place of expertise. It's knowing what your expertise is and knowing what people need that they don't even know to ask for. The best delivery of your talks is to build the relationship with people that trust you, trust in your delivery, and trust you enough that they're willing to not even be entirely exactly sure what they're going to get, but they know they trust in your expertise and that you're going to give them probably what they wouldn't have even known to ask for. That's when you blow people away in, in as a speaker or, speaker or in business in general is actually giving people, delivering your expertise in a, in, in a way that they wouldn't have even known to ask for that. And I feel better able to do that. But to your point, how do I customize the speak? I, I refer to it as bookends. The, the meat of, of what I'm talking about stays relatively the same. I will uh, develop stories that will be dropped in. Uh, I'm old enough now that, you know, the stories have likely took place. I'm speaking at a real estate conference at the end of this month. And, you know, I have the perfect real estate experience that, that I, is going to fit into this talk. I can tap into enough. And I actually, and by the way, as a practical tip, I have a, a I have a portfolio in, in Google Drive of, of stories, <laughs> like, because we all live so many of these stories. I track them. I dump all these random stories business lessons, just whatever, um, into a folder in Google drive. So I have a, a massive repertoire of stories that can somehow fit into different industries. So, um, I will drop in a few stories that are, that are true and real, 
Uh, but other than that, the, the meat of the talk stays the same and I just bookend it. I, uh, the intro, the outro is customized for the experience of those attendees based on their industry. Um, I also, I always go into all my talks with three possible endings. Uh, I never quite know until I'm in the moment how I'm going to close any talk. I go into every one of my talks with three possible closings. Um, and then I decide in the moment which feels more energetically aligned with that audience um, and I, I pull that one out and there's, they're pretty much anywhere from, you know, the safety to in the middle to this better be a better, woo, this might, this is going to have to be a woo woo audience for me to close with this sad story of, you know, whatever. So I always have three in my back pocket and I decide in the moment, which one I'm going to pull out based on the genuine vibe I'm getting from that audience. Interesting. Uh, one thing you touched on earlier was just the, the, the expertise that you offer. Uh, and I think one of the times it's, it's one of the challenges for speakers is that oftentimes what can be experts perceived as expertise to others just feels like, I don't know what, you know, everybody can take pictures like, nah, you know, not exactly. Uh, like what you do is you're really, really good at it. So how did you figure out and determine like, not only like what your, what your expertise is, but also just because you're an expert at something doesn't necessarily mean that groups or businesses or organizations or whoever hires speakers to talk about it. So what has been the process for you to kind of land on like, no, no, like this is I'm, I'm world class at this. And I'm very clear on how this can provide a solution to businesses or entrepreneurs or, or uh, business owners or whatever it may be. Yeah, you bring up a great point, which is so often we don't see what's uh, obvious to everybody else. Like, so in fact, it's one of the exercises I give to my coaching clients is to, to make a list of compliments they've heard throughout their life. And pay particularly close attention to those that you want to brush off. They're likely the ones that are so innate to who you are that you don't even see uh, you don't you don't even see the value in it. But that's actually what people see the most value in you. Um, for me, it's it's listening. You know, in my earlier and you you made a point earlier. I just want to kind of swing back to is so much of this the iterative process, finding your expertise. It comes from doing, you know, you can't, you can't just hold up in a, in a room practicing your talk. You have to get out there and do it. You know, you have to, you have to be out there doing something. Um, and for me, it was, it was, it was doing it. It was speaking and paying attention to audience feedback. And there was a very specific pattern that took me years to unpack. And it was almost, I would come off the stage. People would come up to me and they would thank me for giving them permission. Hmm. Grant, for the life of me, I didn't know what I was giving them permission for because there wasn't anything in my talk that gave, like, go out and do this. or you know, yeah. there, there wasn't anything in, in my talks. But it was so constant. Thank you for giving me permission. And what I realized, I was able to glean my expertise from that in that I have a way of, particularly self-employed business owners, my people, I have a way of letting people do business and showing them a way to do business in a way that has instinctively always felt that the way they wanted to do business, but they fought against their instincts because it didn't look like the way other businesses were run. And that is at the heart of being self-employed. What I refer to in, in my, the keynote I'm currently giving internally, the title is uh, an unconventional business and a conventional business world. And I say it's an internal title because, as you know, we always have to change up our titles to fit the organization. But internally, it's referred to as the unconventional talk. And, um, and that talk comes from really stepping into that expertise, realizing this permission that people were seeing in me that I wasn't aware I was giving them was I was giving them permission to, to do business in an unconventional way, 
likely to be a way marketing that feels good marketing that doesn't sales that don't feel sleazy like giving them methods and strategies to do business in a way that feels good that they have instinctively in their gut always wanted to do but they fought against themselves because hey that's not the way amazon does it that's not how elon musk became successful the rest of the world is telling me that i should i the niches the riches are in the niches right but the my people i talk to them and they're like yeah i hate having a niche <laughs> you know or like i've said i've just learned it like well you need to redefine it you know i'm not going to say that there isn't a niche the difference is is how you define it and for most you know for particularly for creatives um, their niche is their area of expertise. The niche is what's inside of you that is so narrow in your area of expertise for which there actually are likely to be multiple audiences and multiple ways of delivery. But it's still, there is a specialty to own. It's just probably not one audience in one thing. It's likely to be your area of expertise for which there are multiple audiences. Uh, you touched on something briefly earlier. I want to kind of come back to you mentioned the, uh, the how you capture stories. I thought that was kind of interesting, and, and I'd love to, to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, so you, you you capture stories, anecdotes, uh, and and put them into a Google Drive. They may never see the light of day. Some of them may, and some you know that you may massage and play with, and get tossed out. And so I'd be curious, like, what's an example of something recently, some type of story, something that happened? You're like, I'm, I captured it, I put it into Google Drive, zero idea if I'm ever going to do anything with it, but I'm just, I'm kind of hanging on to it. So I'd be curious, anything come to mind, and then kind of what's, what's the process from here? Um, and in this case, because it's just very recent, and by the way, you're right, a lot of them won't see the light of day, but I figure if nothing else, my kids will read this stuff someday and, and get a get a kick out of it. <laughs> but I just, I. I just pay attention to everything and particularly I, I always I'm always having experiences as a consumer and it's always amazing to me how business owners forget that they're also consumers and I'm pointing that all out all the time. It's like, well, you know, a, a statistic that fascinated me recently was that um, uh, 70% of people make a decision whether to hire someone before they've even contacted them. All right. This is a research on a Forrester group. And I, and I point that it's like, well, think about your own behavior. Like, don't you, I call it self vetting. Like, don't you go and check out that person and you do all that before you've even contacted them, you've pretty much have made a 70% decision whether, whether you're going to hire them and you just hope they don't screw it up. Right. So, you know, we have to look at our own behavior. Uh, the most recent, literally just the other day, cause it just really got under my skin and it's something I do talk about a fair amount, but now I felt like I had a visual example of it. I went recently, something I've wanted to do for the longest time is to go to a float tank you know, where uh-huh. you're like, you float on the water. Yeah. I've I finally got around to doing it. Incredible experience. I love the studio that I went to and I'm, I'm all over it. I post it on social media. I got them at least half a dozen customers because people were messing. I, I made an appointment. People were doing it in their other towns, my own town. Absolutely love the experience. And lo and behold, they're, they're running ads on Facebook uh, for a really good deal. Instead of the normal $89, it's 69 bucks for the hour float and it included uh like a 45 minute sound healing session like double banger right it's like 120 dollars in value i'm like awesome and i open it up and i go to register and it's for new customers only and i'm like oh god i hate that like it's one of my biggest pet peeves in business how i mean i was so excited about your company i was all over social media. they saw my posts on social media because they i would tag them out of respect and they were seeing it and they were commenting as well i mean i just don't think there's any way to annoy an existing customer f- faster than that so to me it's like 
I, I actually, I copied the Facebook ad and threw it in that Google Drive. I'm like, I am going to use that thing in a talk someday and share that story to demonstrate what I've been saying for years. But this was such a clear example. So it's things like that all the time. It's it's the terrible phone calls with uh, your cable company, like things they could be doing better. Um, so um, the real estate story I, I mentioned earlier, I, I had when I first moved to Miami, um, everybody told me to go to this particular neighborhood, you know, hotels I was staying in and, and anybody I ran into told me, go to this neighborhood, but it wasn't where I wanted to live. I kept thinking this isn't where I want to live. And, and I finally, uh, broke down my own barrier and I went and visited this neighborhood and fell instantly in love with it. Um, it just was exactly what I was looking for. And shortly thereafter, but the thing that surprised me is how costly it was to live there. So shortly after I had an appointment with an accountant. And I told my accountant, I said, well, you know, so much for saving money moving to Florida. Like the rent here is as much as it was at my apartment in New York City. And he said to me, he goes, well, you do know that you moved to the area designed to attract New Yorkers. I'm like, what do you mean it was designed to attract New Yorkers? He goes, didn't you notice the park looked just like Battery Park? And there's a Smith and Walensky in the park. And I realized I had been duped by one of my own fundamental uh, teachings of, of marketing is to create an environment that's so familiar, people are latched onto it. But what stood to me, the reason I, I tuck that story away, I tell up my book Lingo, and I, I will share it with this realtor audience this this month, is it, what's interesting about that is that if I had been with a realtor and they told me, as so many people had, that that's where I should live, I would have resisted it because we don't like being told. We don't like being sold to. What made it work was the self-discovery. And that, that to me is the big business lesson. So I write stories down like that, that where the lesson might not even be obvious, but the, the real lesson of that in business is giving people the room and space and the empowerment to come to their own conclusion, because I guarantee you, if I went with a realtor and they tried to sell me on living there, as so many people had, I wouldn't have because I, I innately, maybe it's me, but I think it's a lot of people. I innately want to re resist what seems obvious. I had to discover it myself. And I think that's a fundamental rule in business today. Uh, you are uh, an expert whenever it comes to uh, entrepreneurship, being self-employed, being a, a business owner. And uh, I'd be curious, like, I think one of the biggest challenges that uh, I know I, I have faced and have talked with other self-employed business owners about is just the mental emotional challenge. And, you know, we were kind of talking before we started recording that we're all just, you know, we're making it up as we go. We're doing the best we can. And some days you're like, man, I, we are crushing it right now. This is awesome. And other days you're like, man, this is really hard. And especially in terms of, of being a speaker, there's days where you're like, I, I am booking gigs left and right. And I just, you know, just landed the biggest gig I've ever had. And uh, then I just got off stage and had a huge standing ovation and things are just going great. I just got a book deal, whatever. Uh, and, and then there's times where you're like, nothing's working, can't book anything. It's just complete crickets and you're seeing everybody else booking stuff and you just it's just the mental challenges and the mental roller coaster uh, of being an entrepreneur and being a speaker and so i'd be curious if there's anything that you've learned or, or figured out or discovered that would help to manage that and to to deal with the emotional highs and highs and lows of, of being self-employed well for one if it's a daily experience for you you're doing better than me because i i've come to the point where i'm like whoo that was a rough hour but the next hour might be great right it's it, the swings can be that severe so um, you know, a couple things I lean into and in, in my next book that I'm working on, uh, which will be out in the fall of 24 is about self-doubt and it plays a part in this too, right? Uh, what generates this? And we need tools. 
you know, what tools do we have to get ourselves out of, of that up and down? What are the tools that we have that might be to get ourselves out of, out of self-doubt? Um, so, you know, it does, it takes a tremendous amount of resilience. And I think often, and this is one of the, the fundamental principles of getting ourselves out of self-doubt. And I think also gets us out of that roller coaster is somehow those emotions detach us from what we have already done in our lives. Somehow we get so in the moment that it's that moment we're doubting ourselves. It's that moment we're emotional, where if you actually just look back, you've been through so many things like this before. And I think a lot of times we can let our emotions detach ourselves from, from, from the present. And I, like I said, I've been in business for 40 years. I'm at least at the point now where I find it amusing when I let the thought go through my head that whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a recession or whatever else it might be, I at least now find it amusing when I let the thought go through my head that this might be it. This might be the thing that takes me under. And then I remind myself, well, nothing's done it yet in 40 years. It's not likely to be this. Right. And I think one of the ways that we can even out those those ups and downs is to to remember who you are. Right. Remember what got you here. Even if you're brand new as a speaker, you know, you've been through some stuff, you know, and then it's probably you're driven perhaps to be a speaker because you've been through some stuff. You have some stories to tell you, some lessons to teach. Um, Try not to let the emotion of the moment derail you from who you've been and what you've already accomplished. So that's something. Uh, I I often fall back on, and then I am a big believer in 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 you know mantras and such. And I have what I call a trust mantra, which is that's what I call when I'm I'm desperate. It's my trust mantra, um, because my trust mantra is when it looks like everything's falling apart, to trust that it's falling together for something bigger than I can imagine. So I lean on on things like that to remind me. And it, again, in a way, it's the same process to like reattach me to what I've I've been through. And, and what I know about life in general is that we often go through times which it can literally look like everything is falling apart. But the other side of that is somehow it's come together for something bigger than I ever would have would have imagined. So I, I just I think just remind mind yourself you've been there and you're going to be through it again and you're going to be around the next time something comes along. It's a beautiful word. Jeffrey, thanks for taking the time and to, uh, to share the thoughts and insights of, of your own story and journey with us. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can we go? Uh, home base is jeffreyshaw.com. You can stop by and critique my speaking page. You're welcome to. <laughs> but, uh, you know, everything, my coaching, everything is there as well. Jeffrey, we appreciate it. Grant, thank you so much. All right, there you have it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab podcast. Now, I want you to know that we do this podcast simply because we want to serve and support speakers like you. We don't charge anything for you to listen, but in return, we do have one small favor to ask. Would you be willing to subscribe to the podcast where you're listening right now? Hit that subscribe button. Also, leave us a rating and review within iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to these podcasts. We read every single one of them, and they also help other people to find the show. Also, if you are looking to take the next step in growing your speaking business, be sure and check out thespeakerlab.com. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com. We've got a ton of free resources and tools there, and you can also learn more about the programs that we offer, which include one-on-one coaching. Our mission here is to help you find the confidence, clarity, and clear path that you need to own your speaking success. So again, check us out over at thespeakerlab.com. As always, we appreciate you hanging out with us, and we'll catch you next time. You're awesome.